0: having my own platform to share my teaching and my creativity and my intellect instead of giving that to a studio to grow their business. It's growing my business. And so that path of ownership actually feeds into the creativity. I feel more inspired in what I'm sharing. I wouldn't say that I'm like really good at tech. I've figured out how to make it work so that I can communicate with the people I need to reach but it's opened so many doors that I'm committed to continue to learn, even though it's not my area of expertise.
1: You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Maddo Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Lily. Thanks
0: so much, Mado.
1: So we're here having this conversation because you have an entirely online yoga teaching business, or mostly online. Mostly. But you've described yourself to me several times as a Luddite. What's your relationship
0: like with technology? It's been a big learning curve over the past three years. I always ask for help. <laughs> I'm not savvy. It's not intuitive. I think my relationship to using some tech in order to share yoga has been really motivated by the pandemic. And, you know, what started in the pandemic as the only way to share yoga, there was a friction, there was a, a point of growth out of my comfort zone. I had to learn how. And then once I started, I realized wow, this is really different on so many levels, who I'm connecting with from all over the world, on what I'm able to share from my own true voice, and on just the path of ownership. Of So it sounds like
1: being out of necessity, mm-hmm. and it opens some doors for you. It pushed you in some ways to recognizing the, your ability to take ownership of your teaching in a new So tell me a little bit more about what that was for you in those early days of, okay, classes are canceled. The only way you're going to get to share yoga right now is
0: if you learn this. I was, I think one of the early people, I remember putting a message on my social media and in my yoga newsletter that said, classes are canceled for the foreseeable future. And this is where you can find me. And it was like, Maybe one week before the studios shut down, I had been really closely watching the international news and I had a sense of what was happening in the world. So I actually opened the online studio one week ahead of the the studios actually officially closing their doors. And at that time, I didn't have my setup. Everything has changed. I would say even the physical space where I teach has changed. I started teaching without a second screen, so I couldn't see students. I was purely doing the yoga practice. And then when the studio I worked for closed and they had us teaching online, they also had us just doing the yoga practice. They didn't ask for us to have a second screen. At first, I thought, like, how lucky am I that I get paid to do yoga? It was like the whole thing in the beginning changed from teaching yoga, where I'm not doing the practice the whole time. When I think of what is teaching yoga, I think of seeing, really seeing with present eyes, another person, and then responding to that. Usually I'm walking around the room to do that. And sometimes I'll slow down and I'll put a spotlight on something and I'll demonstrate it in a really particular way. When I was teaching in the studio, Hey, let's look at this. I'm going to shine a light on this action that I'm doing. Do you see, this is what I'm noticing. This is what other people are doing. These are some options, but really deliberate with a demonstration and then When it was online, I was demonstrating 100% of the time at first, and I thought, this is amazing. (laughs) I'm getting paid to do yoga. And I also had a little bit of a feeling of, eep, I can't see people. Like, how is this working? People were still hungry for it, but over time I learned to have a second screen, to be demonstrating and watching at the same time, which is, whoa, like such an art and a new skill set, to work with pausing and demonstrating and then watching students on Zoom, like the whole format of how I taught changed. And then, of course, I slowly started to invest in gear. Once I had my own subscriber platform, I could start to invest in gear. That would be like lighting, microphone. I redid the floors of my basement, really thinking about all these elements and how it impacts the people watching the practice and listening.
1: So it sounds like from the beginning, teaching online was exciting for you and interesting, that it wasn't like this overwhelming dread. I know some people felt more uncomfortable on camera, demonstrating so much. So what I'm hearing is that you actually found an opportunity in it to practice more often. When we can find joy and pleasure in what we're spending our days doing, Mm -hmm. we're much more likely to be successful. Yeah. Because you have stuck to this. There are lots of people who started teaching online during the pandemic, and as soon as they could
0: stop, they did. I agree. It's like pushed a new set of skills. When you had to both be able to demonstrate and have the physical practice and then the cueing that matches that to communicate via this new medium – think that was challenging for some people.
1: You approach every project
0: with every cell in your body. Yeah.
1: You do not shy away from challenge. In fact, it invigorates you. Doing something different and challenging is your comfort zone in a way. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, okay, we're starting there. Whatever we get into later, you're a self-described Luddite. (laughs) you were never comfortable with technology but when the pandemic hit part of you came alive to this new challenge
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah and i would say to anyone listening if you're like well that's not me i'm not like that i would say find the part of yourself that is like that because we all have multifaceted personalities mm-hmm. and there is a part of each of us that can come alive to a challenge if you somebody who does not consider yourself to be tech savvy, technology is not your comfort zone, yet you want to teach online, then you need to access a part of yourself that is willing to really dive into the potential of facing the things that are hard for you.
0: I agree. It's like the greatest tension And working through and moving through that is the greatest teaching. I I think another thing I haven't even mentioned, Madot, is that like when this all moved online, I started thinking about three issues. I would say ownership. What does it mean to take ownership of the creative and intellectual work I've devoted my life to? Boundaries and worth. And I started realizing, like, I don't know that I need... A studio i don't know that i need a middleman and i wouldn't say this is the, the right answer for everyone but i think for the first time in my life i started earning what i felt was my worth and i had honestly struggled my husband was a phd fellow and i was primary bread earner as a yoga instructor and even as a senior teacher where I live, teaching teacher trainings and workshops that would sell out to capacity with 50 people every time I led them, and some of the most highly attended classes in my city, I was still struggling to make ends meet. <laughs> and like, when I started working online and realized if it's just a Zoom platform that this studio owns, like I could do that. And... It's a lot of extra work. There's a lot of extra admin. You have to think where you are in time and space, and you also have to plan and think ahead for it to run smoothly. You are the front desk. You're answering those emails. You're greeting people. You are the marketing team. You're the banker. You're playing all these different roles. But to me, it's so worth it. And I think that sense of ownership and clarity of boundaries and self-worth that came pouring into... My business just really inspired greater creativity in the art of teaching. So I don't see them as separate. I don't own a studio. I'm not dealing with the stress of owning a physical studio. That's a lot. I can still keep one foot firmly planted in the river of my sadhana. And I feel like they've both informed one another. Working for myself online has made it so I don't have to teach as often so I can be more deeply inspired and do the research and like feel really creative about what I'm teaching when I'm teaching. So they fed into one another in this really beautiful way.
1: I love that. And maybe we can do a future episode that's more about the business of transitioning from working for a studio to working for yourself. I think that's a really cool topic also. Yeah. But for today, let's dive into... What types of classes? What types of trainings do you offer online right now?
0: Yeah, a lot. So I teach a live stream subscription. You can also drop in, but honestly, most of my students are subscribers, which is so great because I have this like consistent, close container, and I really get to know the people that are subscribers, which I love. It's kind of a dream, really. And I have drop-ins every once in a while. It's because kind of, you can you can date. and try the different classes and see what you love or you can like commit and it's like it's a little cheaper if you do the subscription but either way is great i also teach private clients all over the country through zoom i have some that i see in person of course as well during the pandemic found people on zoom and they still work with me from different parts of the world i do a prenatal yoga teacher training on zoom Corporates, I once taught like a group of like over 500 lawyers chair yoga (laughs) online and that was really trippy because all their cameras were off. I think when you're at work, maybe you don't want your coworker to see you moving your pelvis or I don't know what it is. But but yeah, I've done all different kinds of things with, with online teaching. What are the basics needed for a high quality online class? First, your space. It's important to think about the space where you're sharing an online yoga class. The sound quality is the most important, even more important than the visual. The lighting, your clothing, actually, it is important when you're teaching online. And I'll get into this more in a moment. Post-production, this would be like editing. And then how are you going to share what you've just created? So that would be like, how are you gonna get it out there? Do you have a blog online, a website? Do you have a YouTube? Demo, like what is the medium you use to share your classes? Great. So let's start with the space. Okay. So I think it's really important to have like clear and clean and minimal kind of space, if possible. You can have some plants or something, but not a lot of like posters or artwork or like things cluttering the space. I think works best. I used to have carpet in the beginning of the pandemic when I started teaching online and i redid the flooring with like vinyl plank floorboards because teaching yoga all the time down there it's hard on the wrists when you have mushy carpet under you in like a vinyasa style yoga where you're doing lots of plank and chaturanga and handstands and things like that the lighting is also something to consider so you don't want to have like a window behind you where you're backlit that can be that can just make you look kind of shadow And also, if you're in a room with a window, it can be a great thing, but be aware of when you're teaching your class because the shifting light can affect the recording of video or live stream that can all be affected by light if it's really shifting all over the place, depending on what the weather is or what the time of day is. And you said the sound is the most important piece. So
1: tell me more about why that's the case and
0: what you do to improve the sound quality. Yeah, this is the first thing I learned. When I first read this, it surprised me because I would have thought that the video and the visual would be more important. But when people are doing yoga, they're doing it with you. So they're not watching you the whole time, they're listening. It's also why your verbal cues are so important that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, you can use some great yoga videos, but if they have poor audio quality, you just flip right through them. Especially if someone's like outside on a beach and there's wind whipping around them. It's very distracting. It it really pulls you out. So the audio is the most important component. If you're investing in tech, if you're like, ooh, do I get lights? Do I get a mic? Do I get uh, like, fancy lens, I would say start with the audio. Your space also has acoustics. So depending on the size of the room, depending on what's in the room with you, when you do have carpet or tapestries, the sound quality will be better. One like quirky little challenge I've been dealing with in my basement setup recently is that my son started playing the drums and we have like professional drum set down there now. I have to put a yoga blanket on top of it when I'm teaching so that it absorbs some of that sound. The best advice I could give is just to play with your space. Like You gotta do some trial and error, and that's also how I learned some of this stuff. I realized the mic that I hook up to record the class, I had been wearing it on my clothing. I'd been clipping it onto my shirt when I did yoga. And the, like, whenever my chin brushed my chest or my, it was in a forward fold and breathing, jayi breathing, it, it just sounded wonky. The way that I discovered how the audio sounded best was a happy accident. Like, actually, one day I had the mic plugged in, but I forgot to put it near me at all. It was, like, in the other corner of the room. And I went to see the recording of the class I had just taught, and I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to have to like, redo all the audio because the mic was over there. But it was the best audio I'd ever had. Just these happy accidents and like experimentation when you're working with tech is really helpful. The
1: smaller the space, the better. So if you only have a very small room to record in, that's actually okay. As long as you have enough room to practice and to frame your practice in a way that is easy to see you, then the smaller the better. Soft surfaces, Lily mentioned. So you might hang a blanket or a quilt in front of you so that you can't see it in the video, but it's like behind the camera, right? Minimize
0: hard surfaces and maximize soft surfaces. I think that's great advice. And that's like one of the challenges for me since I made my like my basement looks like a yoga studio. It's like this modular room that's both like where my family watches family movie nights and where my kids hang up a pod swing and swing around and play and their toys are tucked in these little wooden bins that look minimal and don't catch the eye. So it's like their play zone, but it's also my teaching zone. But it's very, it's like sound when you go into a house that you just moved into and it's like echo, echo. It's like that because it's not like the other rooms in my house where there's carpets and couches. It's like an open blank canvas room, which is great to have kind of a home yoga studio. But like you're saying, for sound with like that big like open space, it does present its challenges.
1: If you do have a little bit of money to invest, you, you won't be able to see the video. But Lily can see that behind me, I actually have acoustic panels. When I first started the podcast, I started out in my daughter's bedroom and I hung a big quilt up behind me and... Like I was in a little alcove and that was how I recorded. Then I moved down to our basement and I was in a walk-in closet in our basement. I just recently moved. We built an office, like an outbuilding outside of our house so I can leave the house and go to work. It's awesome. So I did a few things to improve the sound quality. I added an extra layer of insulation. We built it from scratch. So we were able to do that. And I put felt tiles up on one wall and these acoustic panels up on another wall. So the felt tiles and the acoustic panel, that's something that anybody could do. It does cost a little bit of money. I did a lot of research, the acoustic panels, I think maybe like $600 or something. And the felt tiles, if I had put up as many of them as i put up the acoustic panels it probably would have been the same. Some people will be on a tighter budget than that, but i did want to throw that out there in case you do have some money to invest that before you worry about your tech, make sure that your environment is as optimized as it can be because no fancy microphone is going to make up for an echoey space.
0: Your audio panels are beautiful, by the way. I thought that was for an artistic reason, not for a functional audio reason. Isn't
1: that lovely? Yeah, that's cool. It's like a bonus that they're beautiful. Nice.
0: Yeah. I mean, I teach live stream and I record while I'm teaching live stream and I share those. Some of my subscribers, I would say half of them even, like don't go to the live stream. They just catch the recordings. It depends on what you're wanting to do with teaching online. like Maybe you do want to go teach outside and have the natural environment around you when you're teaching and then upload it. Like You could record that and then do the audio post-production. Totally. That's actually a good point. It's a little
1: bit more complicated to do that. It might not be where you start out, but it is definitely doable if it feels important to you to teach outside or if you truly do not have any indoor space that you can get the sound quality right and the visual quality right, you could do them separately for sure.
0: Yeah. So lighting is another important component to think about. I talked a little bit already about avoiding being backlit. That means like avoiding teaching in front of a window where you're going to look like a shadow teaching yoga. But other things to look out for are a lot of us have recessed overhead lighting in our homes, and this will create like a really stark shadow down on your face, which, like, think big bags under your eyes. <laughs> so it's not ideal. Turn off that overhead recessed lighting. And I have two light sources, and they're set in the front corners at about 45 degree angles from the frame. And that works well. Side lighting can be really harsh. I come from a dance background and I actually think side lighting on stage is one of the most beautiful kinds of lighting because it just makes everything look really chiseled and dramatic. But of course, on stage you have front lighting in addition to side lighting. But if at home you just have the side lighting source, it can look pretty harsh and stark. But the front 45 degree angle kind of light source fills nicely so you don't have dark shadows on one part of you.
1: And just to be super clear, that can be a window. You don't want a window behind you, but a window in front of you could be really perfect depending again on the time of day and how direct the lighting is. It could be too much. It could be too harsh and you could put some curtains up, some sheer curtains to diffuse that, mm-hmm. or it might be less direct lighting and just give you the most beautiful light. That's another thing about this office is that uh, has lots of windows. No windows behind me, but windows in front of me and to the side of me.
0: And so the lighting is much, much nicer than my old office. Yeah, like envelops instead of casting a shadow. Totally. Yeah, the clothing is important. And students would be like, wait, I can't see you because you're wearing all black and your mat is also black. And so it was just like this little black blob on my mat. And so I like had to wear bright and light colors, which I I had a lot of dark colored yoga clothing. So I did some like shopping (laughs) and got like pastels or brights. And I also found that tight fitting clothing works a lot better because you're using your body as an instrument to teach and to demonstrate so much of the time when you're teaching online that if you're wearing some, I have like one of my favorite pairs of pants. Yoga is this big, baggy harem pants, but no one can see what I'm doing because it makes my lower legs and my upper legs combine to this one blob circle of harem pants. (laughs) (laughs) So your clothing becomes an important component of the legibility of your teaching.
1: Let's go through your tech setup. Let's talk about the exact technology that you recommend as the bare basics. Mm. Let's start with that. And then let's get into
0: anything that you would layer on top of that if the budget allows. Okay. So bare basics for sound. I would use if you have a pair of like, like a AirPods, earpods. I never thought what they're called. AirPods I, think. AirPods, I think. They're called
1: AirPods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Put those in your ears. <laughs> use those because it will pull out some of the background noise of like my husband is upstairs unloading the dishwasher while I'm teaching yoga. They'll pull out some of the background noise and make what I'm saying crisper and more focused. So I would recommend starting with that. Now, if you have more of a budget, what I do for my subscription is I have a live stream and then I have an on-demand library and my subscribers get full access to this on-demand library that has like over 1,000 practices in it at this point. And each week I'm uploading new practices. And so I... I'm recording sound in two ways and visual in two ways every time I teach. I don't teach just for on demand. And in fact, I think students prefer taking a class that was really taught to other people and hearing me talk to those other students. I talk about the people who are in the room. We say hi. You can hear me say, Hey, Katie, it's not a generic class, it's a particular class, but that's how I share on-demand content. What you're describing is
1: a class that is a relationship instead of a performance. I Mm -hmm. think classes that are 100% on-demand and were recorded without live students are performative. You're having to pretend that there are people there, Mm -hmm. And some people may be really good at doing that. Some people may be less good at doing that. But in a way, it is
0: less of an alive experience. I feel like there are online platforms. I've taken classes on them before where the teacher can't see you, where it's more like they're teaching a live class. I'm not talking about like a YouTube video or an on-demand thing. They're teaching a live class. It's at a set time, but they're not giving any feedback because they can't see anybody and just put it all up as on-demand content. I guess going back to the beginning of this conversation, for me, teaching is really about seeing, really seeing what's in front of you in real time and then responding to that. Yeah. So I think that's like a larger conversation that you just opened up that I totally agree with. There's an aliveness to having a platform where you can actually see and interact with people and even on the replay that reverberates.
1: Anyway. Okay, so
0: so you said the first thing is AirPods. Yeah, that's like the low budget and you could use AirPods for both. Like you could use AirPods for your live stream. And then if you're downloading that, you can of course download the the Zoom recording. And I think that would be like the lower budget way to go. If you're wanting to invest a little bit more money and it's not crazy expensive, there's two different mics that I use, one for my on-demand. It's called the Rode Go Wireless, and it has amazing audio. I think the best you can get for the money that you would spend. It's like, I want to say $200 for this mic. Just plug it right into my iPhone 14. I use that, the selfie camera, but the, the good quality camera. And I hook the mic in that way. And then I, like I said, learned by happy accident to keep my road in the corner, not pin it on me, not put it near my mat. It gets better audio when it's a little away from me, I've learned. That's my audio setup for recorded content for... Livestream, I use this Logitech Snowball Ice. You just plug it in with a USB right into your laptop. And then you have to remember to bring it close to you. <laughs> like I've talked before with it further and people couldn't hear me as well. So,
1: Okay, so we start with AirPods. If we want to upgrade a
0: little bit, we can use the Rode Wireless Go or like any. Kind of what was the other one? Mine was the Snowball Ice. I will say like the AirPods were great. Like I think the audio was great and no one ever complained. Honestly, the reason why I got the Snowball Ice was because I just hated having that in my ear. When <laughs> I was doing yoga, I just didn't like the way it felt. And like, they, they would fall out all the time and I'd be like, hang on a sec, let me grab that and put it back in while we're in like wild thing or something. So it's so great to go free. Like no, there's no mic clipped to my body. There's no AirPods in my ear. I'm just like free in my body and it feels really good right now. I like being free of gear attached to my body when I'm demonstrating yoga. Okay. Let's talk about the tech of
1: having these two different cameras Mm -hmm. and how that works with Zoom because I've taken your class and it's nice because you can see us from two different angles. If you're facing forward, I think you have your laptop and then if you turn to the side, How are you seeing us?
0: I've got like a bigger screen. And
1: then are you logged into Zoom twice? I am.
0: I'm logged into Zoom twice, but one of the video sources is turned off. And that's the one that's right in front of my mat. So people don't see me twice. They have one frame of the teacher to see, but I can see while I'm demonstrating.
1: So you actually have three devices going at once. You have the laptop Mm -hmm. where it's logged in and you can see the students, but they can't see you. Mm -hmm. You have like a desktop with a larger monitor where you can see the students and they can see you. And then you have the phone that's recording more high def for the replay. How long did it take you to come up with this setup? Because it it works really well. Mm -hmm. And it's not that complicated. But for somebody who does not think of themselves as tech savvy, that probably sounds overwhelming. So help us understand the process that got you
0: to this setup. I just really wanted to see and respond to my students. <laughs> I really was like, okay, it was so fun to just be doing yoga and like closing my eyes in a forward fold and like having my own indulgent experience. It was it was so fun and I was getting paid to do it. Like it was great. <laughs> But then after a while, I was like, I want to be able to offer a little bit more to people like, okay, this pandemic is still happening. I need to (laughs) improve the quality of service that's being provided. Mimicking someone gets a video that you pop in can only last for that long. You need to think about like, how are you going to create a relationship with people that are coming to your class? Because that's, what's going to create the consistency of their attendance. And it's also going to make it more interesting for you to be teaching people. So yeah, I just I think I just thought of the second screen out of that place, out of one really like curious, wait a second, how many people are doing Urdhva Dhanurasana and how many are doing Bridge? Is anyone doing Mayurasana anymore because they're like at home? And then when I had the second screen, this is not my subscriber community, this is for like another company that I worked for a long time throughout the whole pandemic. But when I turned on the second screen and I could see what people were doing, I was like, oh, no one's doing Urdhva Dhanurasana, they're all doing bridge with a block under their sacrum. Oh, there's like three people doing Pinchamaya And I was like, okay, like I need to teach different levels of regression and modification and adaptation. And it's like how the second screen became important. And then the camera, I think I did start recording on Zoom, and I really didn't like the quality of those Zoom recordings. I just really felt that they were flat. And so, just to
1: rewind here for a second, before you started seeing your students, Mm -hmm. where was your camera located and what were
0: you using? It was a laptop and it was located like, I don't know, maybe six to eight feet in front of my mat and positioned on a desk on wheels. So, It was like hip height. I mean, it's the same way I teach private clients to set up. Like you have a room where you can set up your camera six to eight feet away from you. And when you look at the screen, you want to be able to see the entire perimeter of your mat because I want to be able to see your whole body. So I want to be able to see like your feet on the ground. Of course, that's such an important thing to be able to see when you're teaching a student. And then I want to be able to see all the way up. Like if you're standing in tadasana or you're in a handstand, right? So setting up six to eight feet away from you usually gives the perspective on a Zoom camera to be able to see the whole body. That was my setup. So in the beginning,
1: you had, and this was from the side, facing the long side of your exactly. Okay. And then when you added the second screen to see your students, where did you position
0: that? Just right in front of my mat. Okay. That was the laptop. That's just close to me, like on the ground so that I can see people while I'm demonstrating. So that's
1: a, a laptop on the ground right in front of you. Your microphone is off and your device is muted. It's really important to have both of those things. Otherwise, you'll get some feedback
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you've got two devices logged into Zoom at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you started with just one, like a webcam or what?
0: I didn't use a webcam. I've always just used my MacBook Air built-in camera and one of my friends is in the film industry. And I've talked with him a lot about like, like I'll see a Pilates teacher or a yoga teacher who has just such beautiful video quality. And I've shown the examples to him and I've said, how does she do this? And he says, that's the DSLR camera. You can completely tell because the background is blurred and the, the like level of clarity on their body is just so crisp. And he counseled me, like that's gonna take a lot more project to edit. The size of the file when you download it is gonna be massive. If you were making a 20 minute video of like, something that was really important that you wanted to like bookmark, not, not a process, not a practice that you teach as a, a weekly process, right? Or he advised, if you're going to make marketing clips for social media, that's the time to rent one of those cameras because you can rent them fairly inexpensive. Your phone is the best way to go because you're going to get good quality visual. Your editing is going to be a snap compared with what you do when you have that kind of file and the file size is not going to clog you down and slow things down. So that was really reassuring for me to hear because I've always wondered like, oh, should I invest in
1: one of those? One thing that people who don't understand technology often overlook when they're thinking about videos and editing videos is the device that you use for editing matters. You can't take your clunky 10-year-old laptop and edit a high-definition video on it. Mm. It won't work. You need to have a decent computer to edit a longer video like that. Now, if you have, let's say, a Mac that's three years old, you're probably fine. But if you have a PC that's eight or 10 years old, you're in trouble there. This is something that you're going to have to think about. And like your friend said, your best bet if you want high quality images that are not hard to edit is to use your phone.
0: Yeah. I think the phone, like you're saying, is a really nice middle ground for sharing videos. Yeah. And if you are truly wanting to
1: start in a minimal way, you can use the Zoom recording. It's not going to be the best quality, but if there's a barrier there to just getting started... I would rather see you start using the Zoom recording than delay and delay and delay because you can't put all the pieces together.
0: Yeah, good point. I'll add moment wide lens. It's like $99 and it's a game changer, especially if you're in a small space. So you have to buy their iPhone case and you have to buy this little plastic mount that you attach to the iPhone. They have, and you have to install the mount and then it fits into the case. And then you just whoop, click like a little quarter turn, this lens that creates a wide angle lens on your iPhone. It's great if you're in a small room and you're recording and like part of you gets cut off when you stand up or your feet look big when you do this thing. It just like, you know, it works really well for shooting yoga at home. So I love that moment wide angle lens. And I also got a Gorillapod mount, which is like this Joby Gorillapod mount, and it has these bendable l- tripod legs. So you can like, you could even wrap it around a tree if you were filming outside, but you can adjust it so that it's balanced. You, all of this, there is preparation. Like you have to be organized. You have to light down there early and set up your space and get your gear, get your lighting, your mount. You're, you're going to be fussing with that some days more than others. So there's like a little... Time and space you need to give yourself to work with all this technology. It's not just plunking yourself onto the mat and starting to teach.
1: So let's do a really quick recap of the setup. There's a plain wall, there's a light source either coming from behind the camera or 45 degrees, two light sources also coming from behind the camera. Mm -hmm. You're wearing simple, bright colors. You have a laptop at the front of your mat that is signed into Zoom with the camera off, the microphone off, and the volume off. You have a computer with a webcam facing the long edge of your mat that is signed into Zoom that is recording and streaming your body from that side, that long edge of your mat side, and you can see your students on a large monitor. And then you have
0: an iPhone recording the replay. Yeah. And here's one thing we didn't mention that's important to say. Log in first to Zoom. First on the one that is broadcasting with the camera on and the audio on. Then second, log into the one that you're going to mute and turn off the video.
1: And you have two microphones going. One microphone is connected to the laptop that's broadcasting and streaming to Zoom. Mm -hmm. And... The other microphone, the Rode Wireless Go, is plugged into your phone, and it's picking up the sound for the
0: replay. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So you've taught the class, and it went great, and you're ready to upload it, to edit it, and upload
0: it to the library. What happens next? Okay. So I use InShot app to edit, and I showed it to my filmmaker friend, and he said, great. Great. I think that's better than iMovie. It has some features that iMovie doesn't. I literally finish teaching and I either immediately put myself in legs up the wall (laughs) or I put myself in a jellyfish position over my yoga birth ball. And I spend three minutes max editing and boop, it's done. And I press upload. And that takes a little while, but I go into InShot. I have a intro and an outro clip that's always there so i just grab it it's like my logo at the beginning and then a like little thing at the end and then i put in a blank frame where i can text i can put type like type a text and it'll say what the name of the practice or the theme of the practice is and what props are needed then i bunk the video in straight from my front phone into that app and it's great you can splice out like there's a zoom glitch and you're like oh are you all still there wait let me reconnect my you can splice that out remove it if it's slightly off kilter, you can crop it so that it's level. You can even f- do filters so you can increase the brightness if the lighting was not what you wanted. You can turn the audio way up or way down. You could even go in and re-record audio if you wanted to delete and re-record little segments. Sometimes I'm a perfectionist, so I've even gone in there and been like, oh my gosh, I forgot to do this on the left side. Well, my subscribers who catch the replay get it, they're going to get the left side of that too. So I'll like go in and re-record and add a little section, like a tiny little thirty second that I forgot. Like it's great, it's so easy. Then you hit upload, it takes a while, maybe like 20 minutes to upload an hour or an hour and a half long practice. And then I share it, like airdrop it to my computer. And once it's on my computer, I use YouTube. I make it unlisted so that only people with the link can view. And then I go into my Squarespace and I have a blog it's like a blog setup. You have a blog in Squarespace, and the great thing about the blog is you add the practice. I'll plop it in. I'll put the title. Sometimes I'll write a description, like a little paragraph. This will help you feel whipped up if you have a job interview today, or this will help you feel relaxed if you're feeling anxious. Whatever the effect is, then I'll go in. I'll add a thumbnail. Super easy. You can also make those in InShot, like a little thumbnail, uh, which is the cover picture, maybe a peak pose of the practice and the title of the practice. I'll have a thumbnail that I'll add and tags that I'll add. So my tags are length, like 60 or 90 minutes usually, props needed so people can sort. Like, oh, I don't have any props. Like, what practices can I do? Intensity, like the intensity, the athletic intensity of the practice and the technical level, which I view as totally different things. So I have a like one, two, three level for intensity and a one, two, three level for technical And then uh, anatomical focus, chest opener, whatever. So you can tag it because it's a blog and then add it. And then it looks like a blog page where you open it and you see all these beautiful thumbnails with like peak moment of that practice or whatever captures the practice, the title. And if people want to sort by your tags, they can. So that's editing and the sharing all in one. So the bare minimum would be
1: to take that replay, open it up in an editing app on your phone and just cut the beginning and the end so that it doesn't have extra stuff that you start when the practice starts and you, the video ends when the practice ends. Then you add title and outro. You airdrop it to your computer. This is really important. I used Mac many, many years ago. And then Due to budget, at a certain point in time, I switched to PCs. When I used Macs in the past, they didn't have AirDrop. But when I switched back to Macs and they had AirDrop, my life was changed. Mm -hmm. The ability to just cordlessly send yourself anything. If somebody texts me, it will show up on my desktop computer screen. And I can text them back. I can type on a full-size typewriter a text. A side note, but again, if you want to make your life easier and you have the budget to use Apple products, I personally recommend it. So you airdrop the edited video to yourself and you upload it to your video host, which for you is YouTube, and then you embed it into your website. That's kind of the bare bones description of the steps. There's some extra bells and whistles you can add, the tagging, the... Thumbnail. The thumbnail... Yeah. And if you don't want to do that part, YouTube will choose a thumbnail for you, right? So you can make it as simple or as complicated as as meets your needs as far as, you know, your standards and the amount of time and bandwidth and energy that you have to put into it. So for you, after these several years, how long would
0: you say does the editing and the tagging, et cetera, take you per class? Five minutes. I have this really like lighthearted way of writing out like what we just did and what your result is, what you're going to get out of this, what you're going to feel from this practice, like what the intent is. And a little granular level of like what we actually do. Because if people read it and they're like, oh, geez, she's going to do handstands the whole time. My shoulder hurts today. I'm not going to do that one. It's just a more sophisticated way to organize the library so that it's useful for your students. So people aren't just looking at a sea of videos and thinking, what is this? What am I going to get out yeah. of this? Is this going to match my mood today?
1: I love that you only spend like five minutes on post-production for your videos, That obviously comes from a lot of practice. In the beginning, when you first started editing and uploading your videos, did it take you
0: longer than five minutes? No, I think it's always taken me five minutes. I think it's one of the blessings of working with InShot, honestly, is like it's not even on my computer screen, so I can't be too precious. It's literally on my phone. It's on like tiny iPhones. I mean, what you said about just deleting the beginning and the end, I think that's what I started doing. If anything, I've added a little bit to what I do because now I write that paragraph. So if anything, it, maybe it takes me 10 minutes now, not five, but it's always mm-hmm. been a brief process and it's helped me be able to be consistent in what I'm doing, right? Like, like I'm pumping three classes out each week and so they need to be up quickly too because often I'll teach and then I'm walking my kids to school and packing school lunches right after I teach. So like it's uploading while I do that and then I need to get it up before like I get I go to walk them to school because people want to wake up on their time zone and they're looking for that practice in the library. So I can't be too precious about it. I need to like get it out there for my people.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important not to overthink, overanalyze, or make it too much of a project, which is why throughout this whole conversation, we've been really focused on what's the bare minimum, get comfortable with the bare minimum, and then if there's more that you want to add in, layer in more as the bare minimum has become second nature to you. Yeah. Awesome. Are there any last words of advice or encouragement that you want to share with yoga teachers who are either considering teaching online or have been struggling with it and just want to make it work better.
0: First, you gotta see if it's the right fit for you. I think that was so smart of you to say at the very beginning, Mado, about like, yeah, do you love it? Is this, are you like so eager to get off Zoom and back into the studio? And just be really honest with yourself because when you're doing what you love, it does flow through you with more ease and it works better. But if you love it and you are wanting to learn more about the tech, I hope this podcast helps you. And I can attest, like, I went from teaching so many classes and clients all over the place and driving all over the place and schlepping and to feeling like I have my dream schedule right now. Like, I'm only teaching four public live stream yoga classes a week and it's a game changer. Like I'm still earning more than when I taught all these classes and was running all over town. So that's great. But also, there's such greater intentionality behind what I'm teaching. I am so excited about sequencing those classes. I can delve into movement research in a way that like lights me up. And it's more about quality than quantity. Like the honest truth is when you're running your own online studio, you can earn a great living as a yoga teacher with many less students in the class than when you're at a studio. So... The relationships you develop with people, the energy and creativity you put into your lesson plans, it all increases, I think, from struggling a little bit with the tech and learning the tech and opening the doors to this new way of sharing, or not new, but maybe for you, new way of sharing your yoga teaching. It also helps you as a teacher have more time since you're not running all over town, teaching a ton of classes at a ton of different places to keep one foot in the river of your sadhana. And that's like maybe the parting wisdom that I'd want to leave people with is if you are a yoga teacher to keep one foot in the river of your practice at all times, because you can feel when a teacher is creatively sourced and bolstered and inspired to teach because they have a genuine practice. It's like we we like make contact with that river of the practice outside of ourselves. And then the river moves inside of us and it becomes like our veins and like the bronchial tree of the the lungs. And it all the teaching you've gathered from others and from yoga starts to flow through you. So I think it's so important to keep your practice and avoid burnout and the schlep of running around. And if this is one way that feels joyful and simplifies your teaching schedule so that you can bring greater energy to what you share. I hope this was helpful for you. So much great advice here. And I know we're going to come
1: back for a part two to talk more about the actual skill of teaching online. This is almost more like the environment and the setup and the tech. But if anyone listening wants to try out some of your online classes, where should they go?
0: So you can find me uh, at lilydwyerbegyoga.com. You can also find me on Instagram at lilydwyerbeg.com. I'd love to meet. Awesome. Thanks so much, Madoe.